0: All right, this morning, you know, we've been getting uh, into, I should say, as, as the Lord has been teaching all of us uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we say the power of the Holy Spirit, simply what, what's being said is it, it is the Holy Spirit who takes the things of Christ. He has to take them. And he has to be the one that does it to show them unto us. It's the only way that we can receive them. It has to be him. And thankful that God has equipped us because he's given us the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16, and 17. And, and based upon the reality of that, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, um, he guides us into all truth in John 16, 13, and 14. He never speaks of himself. He only speaks of Jesus Christ. It's so amazing when we consider the unbelievable, I don't even know how you say humility of God, but he does condescend to us in such a way that it's almost you almost can't put it in words. So he takes the things of Christ, and he can for us, because we've been born again and we've been given that spirit, and we know that based upon uh First Corinthians twelve and, and and verse three, I believe. And we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, which speaks of a proof of ownership in Second Corinthians one twenty-two, with Second uh, Corinthians five five, and and in Ephesians one and verse thirteen, because it's the Holy Spirit in Titus three five. He's regenerated us. It's so amazing, and what the Holy Spirit, when he's allowed to do so, will continue to regenerate our experience and bring us back into a proper position and place so that no longer the enemy has a place in us in Ephesians 4 and verse 27, that we would never, I think in our right minds, ever exchange the place that Christ is in us for anything else. And this all has to do, when we talk about propitiation. And again, propitiation in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is just simply that word atonement, which is Kafar, as we have been taught, and kaphar is K-A-P-H-A-R, and it's a covering. And until, obviously, as we've said, that the Bible says that Christ would come and deal with all of that. And so, for us now, we have been reconciled. That And that word reconciliation is katalage because we have Christ as the substitute, one who stood in our place. And he did in terms of propitiating the Father what only he could do, thus becoming our substitute and our means of being reconciled. That's why we can always be reconciled to one another. And that's why I think recently it's been said that we keep out the enemy from causing division between any two members in the local assembly uh, through forgiveness, because forgiveness is God confirming his love. And when that's not flowing, it's a device or a, a means that the enemy uses to separate believers in their experience from having fellowship with one another. That's brought out. That's what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians through the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 10, if you forgive anyone, so do I, meaning we all, that's what we all have the privilege of doing based upon the fact that the Father has been propitiated. Christ is our substitute. We have been reconciled. And that's why in Ephesians 4 and verse 32, we forgive. Why? Because we've been forgiven. We've been given everything that has been made necessary to do so because Christ has completed that and fulfilled it. And we are so thankful for that. But, as we get into this more during during the week, um, possibly even, and I I can still make it available for Thursday morning, and some of course can't, and 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 some that can, we can still make that available tomorrow uh, at eight o'clock, but then obviously on Friday too, we want to get we want to allow and give the Holy Spirit a, a place and a time. When we gather together to really reinforce us and our image through understanding propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. But this morning I just wanted to get in, I've just been led by God for a while here. And this is what Jesus was saying. And I'm gonna read Matthew twenty, verse twenty eight. And it says the same thing in Mark ten and verse forty five, of course, in other places in the scriptures. But in in Matthew twenty twenty eight. Well, I just think this is amazing too in verse 26. This is amazing truth. Verse 26 of Matthew 20 says, but it will not be so among you. In other words, we won't be seeking to have dominion over someone else. We, we you know, that's nothing that we do in Christ. We don't have dominion. And we don't try to exercise authority over one another. We help one another. We encourage one another. There's instruction in a local assembly. There's discipline even in a local assembly. And there's chastisement as God does all these things for every single one of us. But here, what it says here in verse 26 is, But it will not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, if you seek the greatest place and the greatest place is being a minister and we have been taught through the scriptures fellowship means there's something in Christ that we have to exchange and give back and forth and in that sense and that's fellowship and and it's based upon an, an a an intimate, individual experience in communion with Christ. That's what fellowship with the individual in Christ is based upon. That's 1 John 1, 1 through 3. But then when we have that, we enter into 1 John 1 and verse 4. We have it, we, we desire to have it together. And so fellowship is an exchange of the Christ's life in each vessel, and thereby we become a joint in Ephesians 4 and verse 16 that supplies But to have a ministry doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get anything back. But because you're a servant, you don't do it to give anything, to get something back. You do it because you have love for Christ and you're one with him. And so that's why it says, but it will not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. (laughs) Who is greater than the Son of God? Who could be greater? None. And yet he became the minister of us all. This all has to do with propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. And it all has to do with us as those that are born again that are part of the body of Christ in Ephesians 5.30 and 1 Corinthians 12.12 and 13 and 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. We're all unique in the way that Christ is in us that treasure in Second Corinthians four seven that's in us as a as a vessel, uh, and the treasure that's in the vessel. We are all His body, flesh and bone, one body. There's one head in Colossians one eighteen and Colossians two nineteen, and there's only one body in Ephesians four thirty, and we are soon to be given away to the Son on that great day uh, of marriage. When we enter into the eternal state, and that is brought out very beautifully, and, and tremendously brought out, that we are the Lamb's wife, we are his his uh, his uh, bride, and that is brought out in Revelations nineteen seven and nine. We are, and it's not there; it's somewhere else. I just confuse those scriptures, so forgive me. Uh, And if it's right, then still forgive me. (laughs) But we are, it's the lambs, and I do believe that that is correct. Um, But again, as the Holy Spirit's the only one that can bring back the word. But uh, what we want to see this morning, in the midst of understanding, uh, in the future, in our growth, in terms of propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation, this truth here. In verse 27, it says in Matthew twenty twenty, and whosoever will be chief among you, do you desire the chief place? For instance, for us in the local assembly, well, then it says, let him be your servant. And the word servant here is slave. One whose will is swallowed up in the will of his master. That's doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S in the Greek. Let him be your servant. Verse 28 says this, because even as the son of man And this is talking about who Christ is in his humanity. There's the difference between the Son of God is who he is in virtue of his deity. The Son of Man is in virtue of who he is as the file leader in Hebrews 12, 2, and 3 of a whole new race of people. He's the Son of Man in that sense. And so, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto... But to minister, and in the greatest way, how? To give his life a ransom for many. And I want us, and again, it says the same thing in Mark 10, verse 45. I want us to look at this word ransom, because all through the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it goes into ransom or the redemption price. So if you look at Exodus 21, I believe in those first 30 verses, we have an understanding. Especially, I believe it's verse 30, where it says that if there be laid on him a sum of money, and that always speaks of a redemption price. Can you imagine a, a redemption price? Just, just hold that thought about the redemption price and... and just think of what mankind, apart from Christ, and having nothing to do with God, think of what he terms and he thinks the value of of Christ is, apart from God, the Father, and how he views his Son. It's very interesting. Huh, it's so uh, incredible to to see it, but we have to go to I believe it's Zechariah the thirteenth chapter, as the Holy Spirit again brings these things back uh, to our to our mind. And what it says here, and also in Zechariah, I believe it's the eleventh chapter also, where where it says uh, so many different things. But in 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 Zechariah the eleventh chapter, in verse ten. He says, and I took my staff. And what was his staff? And we'll get into what the staff was, and how the shepherd even uses a staff, and how he uses that staff that it's it has a crook on the end, and then it's long. And what the shepherd would do with that staff, uh, when he would call his his sheep into the into the pen, which is spoke of his presence and safety, he would have that. That love the long part of the staff down so that those sheep would have to bend down in humility and when we function in humility then Christ is able to deal with our weaknesses, the pain the injuries that we might have had that's what he uses the staff for and then there's a crook and some that don't want to go under humble themselves then he has to use that crook that crooked part to trip them up so that to trip them up so they don't go further away from him. And that's what it says here, and I took my staff, even beauty, and cut it asunder, that 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 I might break my, my covenant which I have made with the people. This is Israel, has nothing to do with us, but we're understanding these things. And it was broken in, in that day so that the poor of the flock that waited for me, trusted, waited for me okay, knew, waited for me, knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, if you think good, think about this, if you think good, give me my price. What is the, the redemption price? What is the ransom? What do you, would you be willing to pay? And if not, forbear. But look what it says. So they weighed my price, 30 pieces of silver. And of course we know that's Judas and we see that in Matthew, the 26th chapter. Uh, He went uh, to those Pharisees to get a price to betray Jesus, to betray him. But what was his price? And, and, uh, And then it says in verse 13, And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter a goodly price that I was prized of them, that I was valued. What was my value? Did you know that even in the Bible, uh, I believe it's in Exodus, that if you if you bumped or hurt or injured an ox, a lowly animal, you know what the price was? Thirty pieces of silver. was it. And thank God that we have Christ in us, that we're no longer in the flesh, because that's the ox, and that's not what we're in. Uh, that flesh is in us, but we're not of it. And when, we, when we're like that, and when obviously when we don't forgive and live in His forgiveness for us and experience it and don't give it, you know, it's just value in Christ. Uh, the value of an ox. An ox. And, and thank God that He never sees us that way. Isn't that amazing? His love never sees us in how we value Him. He doesn't see us that way. Because all our value was in Christ. But but boy, isn't it something. And that brings out 1 John 4.10. in his love. Not that we loved him. But that he loved us. Listen to it. And that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And of course, only for ours in 1 John 2 and verse 2. Not for the sins of the whole world. He did it for the world in propitiation. But when they choose the truth of the propitiation then christ can be their substitute that they can receive and have their old sin nature crucified in romans 6 1 through 6 and then have their sins dealt with and have them dealt with as far as the east is from the west completely gone and never brought up again in psalm 103 and verse 12 and so Here we even see, even these wounds, the redemption price, we can even look at it in Zechariah, the 13th chapter. And look what it says here in verse 6 of Zechariah 13. And one will say unto him, and this is Christ in the type, what are these wounds in your hands? You see, the wounds in his hands, they'll never be gone away. Even in his glorified body, you can see that. You'll see that in Luke 24, 39 to 42. You can see that when he, when he said that to, to, to the two on the road of Emmaus. Uh, when he said it to John, the, um, uh, he went, excuse me, when he said it in John, in John 20, uh, 27 to 29, when Thomas, who was a type of doubting Israel, when they said, I have to have a sign, I have to see it first before I believe it. I have to see things from God before I'll actually believe him. So, so I put him to the test. Instead of me, my dependence being tested and purified uh, towards him. And so that's when he said that. And, and Thomas there, even in, the, in those scriptures in John 20, 27 to, to uh, 29, is the type of doubting Israel. But eventually they will see him in Revelations 1 and verse 7. Behold, he comes with the clouds. And it says, every eye will see him. And then when it says, and they which also pierced him. And in a manner, that's true for all of us, but we're coming with him. We already realize that. But then the nation of Israel is going, the true Israel is going to realize that. This all has to do with atonement, preparation propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. But we have it in the most intimate way. But going back to there in Exodus uh, 21, and I believe verse 30, again, where it says, if there be laid on him a sum of money, then will he give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. What did it cost our precious Savior to propitiate the Father And then to be our substitute so that we could be reconciled. His gift is unspeakable. It's unspeakable that we've been bought with it. This has to do with 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. And then it goes into even proper giving in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and 8. It even goes into that that even the, the the giving and that means listen that first and foremost it means giving our our minds over for the Holy Spirit to take the things that are Christ and show them unto us that's giving and that's property that's where it all starts and of our time and every other thing that's where it starts with because we have a value we put a, our value is in him and it's priceless the unspeakable gift. I believe that's, a, again, in 2 Corinthians 8, you can look at verse 9, right to 15 in that chapter there. So that's what's laid on him. <coughs> now, the, the what it goes into is here, the price that was paid, and this has to do with Christ, for procuring the pardon of sins, and that's Christ now acting as our substitute, remember, We've been taught the difference in the two lots in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. The Lord's lot was propitiation. There were two goats. The second goat was for the people's sins where they laid their hands on it and confessed their sins. That's our sins. That's substitute and reconciliation in the Scriptures. And this is brought up very clearly. We want to do this in in specific detail also. And hopefully hopefully, and I do believe it's God's will that these booklets be put out. I do believe that because, you know, God, the Holy Spirit, can use an an individual that has nothing in themselves, everything, but they have everything in Christ, and he can use them to pull from so many different sources that only the Holy Spirit, even in those sources, can make proper sense of it and put it together and put it in something where most that, most that don't have the gift of a pastor teacher, they have the gift of Christ. We're all equal in that sense. But maybe not have that gift and not have the tools. Just be able to do that in the same way that someone wants a house to be built. They may not have the skill, and they don't even have the tools or know-how, but they have to rely on the carpenter, uh, the general contractor to do it in the same way in the spiritual sense. But here, it is the price paid. Ransom. The price paid for procuring, getting the pardon of sins and the redemption of the sinner from punishment. That's why the Bible teaches us once we are His, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we're not our own. Just think about that. God never left, now that we're Christ, He never left it up to us to think outside of Him. We're not our own. We have no right. Did you know that none of us do now? None of us do. And I'm growing in this as much as everyone. We have no right to be offended by a single thing. That's based upon Psalm 119, 165. That's why it says, Great peace have they that love your word, law are there but word, and nothing will cause you to stumble. We have great peace. Why? Because it's Christ who is our peace. In Ephesians 2 and verse 14. That's why the best thing that we can do is run to him and him alone, period. Because if we don't, oh boy, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble and there's going to be division. But again, here, it's it's the redemption. It's the pardon of sins and the redemption of the sinner from punishment. And that's why we, the Bible teaches in Proverbs 3, 10 and 11, And in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, there's 29 verses there that you can see we're prayer and we're discipline, loving discipline and chastisement. That's why it's loving. It's not punishment. (laughs) Christ took that. He took the wrath of God. He took wrath. The wrath of God. See, God can only be that. He can only be who He is. He can only function in His love with, with justice. He's still love, But it can't be given without justice being met. It's only wrath, continually. (laughs) And so, there's no punishment. It's not a form of punishment, this chastisement, when we think of it. When the Word comes, at times it seems to be so strong. At times it seems to be so very strong. It's loving discipline. It's loving discipline from the Lord. And again, we even see in Job 33, in, in verse 23, and the result is verse 24. He is gracious unto him and says, Deliver him from going down to the pit, the pit of noise. In Psalm 40, verse 2, the pit where all these voices are not of the one voice of the shepherd. Shepherd has one voice in John ten three, fourteen, 14 and 27. He has one voice as opposed to the many in 1 Corinthians fourteen six through 11. None of those voices are without significance. But there's only one voice that becomes proper foundational, foundational significance and it's the voice of the one shepherd in John 10, 11 and 14. He's a good shepherd. You want good? That's where it comes from. We don't go to each other to seek good. Nope. Good comes from him. Then we have it to give to each other. There's where we have it. And we don't compare, you know. And again, too, it does away with all comparison and growth that should be that that god makes no differentiation in terms of positional truth where believers are located but there is a difference in growth and that's 1st john 2:12 and 14 there's babes young men and spiritual dads we're all technia in that sense and galatians 3:26 we're all his children we all need to be fathered, and we're going to continue to do that and continue uh, to have that. And thank God we'll have it for all eternity. And that's why Jesus said to Mary at the tomb when she finally realized it was her loving teacher. She said, I'm go- I, here's the message I want you to go tell my disciples So we are living in fear in the upper room in John 23. They're living in the upper room in absolute fear, not functioning in love, but fear of the Jews, a legalistic crowd, I said, I want you to go tell in John twenty seventeen that I, my disciples that I am going. Okay, disciples. Okay, we feed on truth. Okay, I'm going to make that crystal clear. Okay, we that what we have now is a local assembly that feeds the church. It's crystal clear. It's, it's crystal clear. There's teaching. Those were Mathetes at that point, disciples. Okay, disciples. Yes. But we teach and preach, and 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 as we feed, leaders feed on Christ. Then we have Christ to give them that they can feed upon, and they thus they become one with Christ. See, it's to, it's different than disciples like during the millennial reigns. Totally different, completely and utterly different, in that sense. In the sense, we still learn, yes we but but in this sense in a much more intimate way and that's why he said to Mary go tell my disciples that i'm going to my father and your father in the most unique way in terms of his deity but then for us with him he said and your father and your god he with us in his humanity submitting to the father At some point, having put down the last enemy in 1 Corinthians 15 and 26, and dealing with the last enemy, which is death, and we see that in Revelations the 20th chapter and verses 6 right through to the 15th chapter. Then we enter into the eternity of the eternities in Revelations chapters 21 and 22. We see that this crystal clear truth that we have in this precious word of God So he does this in Job 33 and verse 23. He delivers them from going down to the pit, going to the wrong place. The pit of noise, a pit of destruction, where all these thoughts that aren't of God, not of myself, not of God, and never of others, never. Never of others at all. Then... He is gracious unto him and says, Deliver him from going down to the pit. The pit there. The pit. In Matthew 15 and verse 14, The blind leads the blind, and they both end up into a pit. And that pit is a pit of destruction. Through the thought life. And that's why the enemy's constantly after our thought life. That's why, again, I say, if there's issues that we have with each other, we must deal first with God and go to the person alone. Can't be stressed enough. It cannot be stressed enough. Because otherwise, it's just a wedge of the enemy. Okay? And it's him trying to cause division so that we don't live in proper sanctification, which is separation. But we have it in john seventeen seventeen, and even Jesus separated himself so that we could be separated unto him in John seventeen and verse nineteen and so I have it says, I have found and and what in job thirty three verse twenty three how was how he delivered from going down into the pit? How are we delivered from going back into the pit of fleshly noise? How does that happen? Because it says, "I have found a ransom." And really, the word there is an atonement, a propitiation. I mean, honestly, even when we fail each other, even when we, is love greater than failure? not that we use it as an excuse no or excuse it never never we would do that not in our right mind not when we're functioning in christ with fellowship we would never do that we would never ever do that you know we always have him to go to as our comforter but only when we go to him as our comforter can we be a comforter you'll see it again in second corinthians 1 3 right through the end God made us comforters. And you know, you know how He makes a comforter for all of us? Through suffering. The greatest depth of comfort comes from suffering. That's Christ. He's the greatest comforter that intercedes for us in Romans 8, 34 and Hebrews 7, 25 and Hebrews 9 and verse 26. And then we, He's our number one comforter. And just with Him, just as, as much as number one, while He comforts us, he himself, you have more than enough in Christ. You have much more than him in heaven. And then we have the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 and verse 26 as as on the earth that comforts us. We have two comforters. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 16. And that's why he said in the 17th verse that the Holy Spirit who, who is with you in terms of the Holy Spirit being in him, the fullness of it in Colossians 2, 9, that he will be in you. He's with you now, Jesus said, but he'll be in you. And that's when the crucifixion took place. Jesus went down into the grave, grave, Hades' grave, never in hell, never. In Psalm 16 and verse 10, he never went into hell, he went into the grave and his body. never saw corruption, ever. Then he rose from the dead and sent down the promise of the Holy Spirit to form the church in Acts, the second chapter. And you can see that in verse 4 right through all the acts and they are the acts of the lord by the way that were acting in and through those apostles (laughs) okay we want to make the, the holy spirit wants to make that crystal clear and so if there's any action of god in an individual it's based upon who god is and god is love because love is the active energy of god's nature and out of it comes light christ coming out is the purity of him in his nature, that refuses to be mixed with anything else. And refuse to mix your thoughts or my thoughts that aren't of Christ and to mix them with Christ because there'll be confusion and that leads to a dangerous place and leads to destruction. So God is not the author of confusion, but of life and peace to all the saints in 1 Corinthians 14.33 because God's only order in 1 Corinthians 14.40 is Christ. And we need to have them, and we do have him as a head. We need to submit to him so that that flow from his headship flows into us. And and, and honestly, and even corrects us. What makes us think for a second that Paul, the greatest of, of the apostles, great because he was given all these heavenly truths about, about Christ, what makes us think that he didn't have to grow? Or that he never failed? Or that he never let anyone down? And again, this is not an excuse for sin and making excuses and blowing it off. But we need to constantly deal with one another. That has to, that can't, I can't stress that enough. Because if that's not dealt with, then we start making party spirits in a local assembly. And all that is is division. I want to make that crystal clear this morning. I want to make it about as crystal clear as I, can, as I can make it. And this is the truth of the Word of God, Christ. Now, getting back to this, he he said, "I have my, I've been delivered in Job thirty-three, twenty-three and twenty-four from going down to the pit because I have found a ransom, an atonement. Someone has met the price that I could never meet. I can't determine." The depth of my sin and the price that it... only That was between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. Even the sin issue, apart from personal sins, was only dealt with between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son and even my sins. Oh boy. Do we make more the sins of others than our own that we're dealt with? Because that'll bring you in a false burden, a false need, and a false struggle to do away with your peace, even if you're offended in her. You can still, and I can still function in peace when I instantly, instantly operate under the yoke. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, are you laboring? Are you heavy laden? Did someone put something on you? Did they? Well, who should you run to? And then you will find enough love and grace and mercy not only for yourself, but in Psalm 23 and verse 5, it'll overflow out of your cup, your capacity to even those that may have hurt you. Did you, do, did you and I ever see the story of Joseph? What his brothers did to him? Then look what God had to do in Joseph to bring him to a place where God would not only deliver Joseph with his tremendous love, unconditional love and grace, God loves us unconditionally, and that's the way we love each other, through grace. Because otherwise, if it's not through grace, it's, there's conditions on it. Well, you hurt me, so now I can't fellowship. Now, you hurt me, so now I've got to go somewhere else and make someone else to be Christ. Now, it's not that we don't need each other. It's not that we don't encourage one another. But it's not from a place of negativity. It's a place of coming as a joint that supplies and even when we fall, I love this verse about me. I quote this, I don't know, I'm not going to tell you how many times because it's a lot. But Micah 7 verse 8 says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. We're not each other's enemy, by the way. Did we, did we forget that we wrestle not against blood and flesh? Did, in Ephesians six twelve did we forget in 2 Corinthians 10 verse uh, 4 that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God? Notice that the through God. You deal with issues, you deal with it through God. And sometimes we have to wait. Psalm 62, 5, My soul waits you upon the Lord, for from Him or someone else's name comes my expectation and my source of comfort. I can get a source of comfort, but wouldn't you rather go in comfort and be a comfort to each other and have fellowship? Wouldn't you rather do that? You know, when we're not satisfied where we are, where God has placed us, we seek another place. We start making plans because there was failure. There was failure. And thank God, aren't you glad that even our failures, they're not of God, but are they included in God's plan? Are they? Does God use the failures of others? I don't know. Did he use the failures of Joseph's brother, Not only for Joseph, first and foremost for God's glory, but not only for Joseph, but all those that did all those evil things towards him. And Joseph wept. And do you think he has the truth that we have? There's no way. He didn't even have it like we have. Didn't have it like we have. Listen, the word ransom there, it means to redeem, listen to this, to redeem from captivity. Oh, how the enemy likes to capture our mind. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25, And we think it's others that are opposing us when the enemy's captured my will, in 2 Timothy 2, 26, and caused me. It's not God and it's not others. It just isn't. It's Satan. And do we recognize one another when we fail under Satan? Is who we are in Christ? And should we treat each other that way? God forbids it. You know who he does? In Galatians 6 and verse 14, God forbid that I glory. The only place a Christian can glory, hold things against others, keep them on probation, run to others because they don't think they can fellowship in certain areas with others. They run. It's the cross. You know what the cross did? It did away with every single one of our rights of the flesh. It crucified it. A dead man has no rights. Aren't you glad? Nothing. To, nothing to feel bad about. Not a single thing. Galatians 6 verse 14. God forbids that I should glory. Except on the cross of Jesus Christ. Of whom, I, of whom the world is crucified unto me. And I unto the world. That's why in a local assembly. And I do mean this honestly. And I mean it in, in, in the beauty of love. That's why each of us need to take a place. When we come together as a local assembly. And you may hear things. Even after. The word is preached and you hear certain things. It's not the place of individuals. It's not the place of them other than to counsel them in Christ. Period. Period. Because others may not know how God is leading others that are leaders with others. And you may not know and you may think you're being a source of comfort when you don't have, and you should, and we should, but not knowing everything. Not knowing everything, and you don't. And none of us do, but we do function in our proper place in a local assembly. That's why in a local assembly, this is the truth, please listen to this, in a local assembly, and that's why, I, don't, I ask women to share what God has put on their heart, never to teach. When we come together as a local assembly, Never. And a woman may be a source of comfort to others, but she's never, ever to correct others through teaching. Ever! Because of 1 Corinthians 14, 34. You read it yourself. In 1 Timothy two eleven to 14, they're to keep silence. They're to pray. Yes. They're to pray. But even if they bring to others something they shouldn't, that person will immediately turn them to God and say, this is what you do. This is what you do. You go immediately to God. Immediately. And some may act in all sincerity and miss a lot. Miss very, very, very much. And that's why we need continual preaching and teaching. Now again, it means to redeem from captivity or punishment. How many times do we think if when we think outside of God, that somehow we're being punished. Was was Jesus Christ punishing the Apostle Peter when he said, get behind me, Satan? Because Peter, and we're all apt to do it, function in areas where we're functioning under the prince and power of the air still. In Ephesians 2, verse 2. Sometimes we need to be encouraged. You know read Acts, the third chapter. Look at those verses, those first ten verses. There was the um, impotent guy filled with all kinds of disease and things. And what he wanted was silver and gold. And Peter said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have is, is why don't you stand up and be healed in the name of Jesus? Sometimes we need to hear that. Because the enemy keeps people captured in that kind of stuff and then keeps them ultimately in a place of depression. And everything is gloomy and dark. But that's not who we are in Christ. Never is. Any of us. So to redeem from captivity or punishment by by paying an equivalent. Did you know that Christ was the only equivalent price that could propitiate the Father, thus be our substitute, and thus be the means of us reconciling? How quick should we reconcile with one another? Should I go to another if I need to be reconciled to someone who's not there? Should I? Never. 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 Even, even in the principle of how it's going to function during millennial reign. In Matthew the 18th chapter in verses 15 to 18, if you have a gift and you know that you have ought against your brother, don't bring your gift. Don't think that you can be used as a gift. Until... This is dealt with. There's a there's a proper way to deal with things. There is, honestly, and 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 obviously we deal with them in forgiveness. And forgiveness is based upon propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. How quickly should we reconcile each other? We mentioned it the other day in the most intimate relationship between a husband and a wife, Christians in Christ, in a local assembly. You mean to tell me there's not going to be failure? rejection and hurt and pain, how quickly should you reconcile? How quickly? Are we the bride of Christ? Is Christ the the bridegroom? How quickly should we reconcile with each other? How quickly should that be? As quick as we go to God and go to one another, and it's a private issue. That's what love covers means. That's Proverbs 17 and verse 9. That's what a brother born for adversity is in Proverbs 17 and verse 17. That's what that is. And 25 and verse 2. It is the glory of, of, of others to reveal a thing. It's the glory. They had, you know, The flesh glories in us when we don't deal with things properly. We, and there's glory in going to others and saying, here, this is what happened. We've said it like this. Excuse me, I trust you and I love you. Can I borrow your ear to throw up in? Because I love you and I trust you. That's not love and that's not trust. You're trusting in the person. You want the person to be a source of comfort to you that only Christ is. And it's true. And we fail. We fail. I fail. You fail. You fail in your marriage. Does that mean, okay, does that mean you're going to move out of the house? Does that mean you're going to not fellowship anymore? You're going to quit? You're going to go somewhere else? Would you want your wife to go somewhere else? Would you want your husband to go somewhere else? Would you rather deal with things in, in intimacy? I know I, I, I know I would and I know I need to and I'm growing in this. Now, to redeem from captivity or punishment by paying an equivalent applied to persons as to ransom prisoners from an enemy. Who's our enemy? You mean to tell me in the body of Christ when we fail each other, hurt each other, that we become each other's enemy? Is that scriptural? Is it? No. No. You, you may be the source of God teaching another. Now, again, if I'm rightly related to my relationship and intimacy in Christ and I desire that, then I need to deal, me, I need to deal with personal sin. And you can trust God for me, that he will deal with me in every area that needs to be dealt with as much as I can trust him for you. And just let love flow. Just let it flow. To redeem from the possession of an enemy. Who's our enemy? Satan. Who's our adversary? Satan. That's 2 Timothy 2, 24-26 the enemy, will cause you and I in the flesh, when we're in function in the flesh, to blame others. Ultimately, we'll, we will blame God. Because if I believe I'm the dot and God's the circle and he allowed it to happen to me, then ultimately, when, it get, when you get done blaming others, God's got to be to blame because he's, you're the dot and he's the circle. What the enemy meant for evil, God may mean for what? The enemy did evil to Joseph. Did God mean it good for Joseph? Did He? Did He mean it even good for those that did the evil to him? He most certainly did. You can see that in the 50th chapter. Start in the 40s, 44, 45, 46, and go right to the 50th chapter in Genesis. And you will see, you will see that either God has a place in me through Christ, or I replace Him and become God to others. We can all do that. We've all failed in that. And when we do, and when I fail someone, come to me alone. I promise I'll get right with you in a a millisecond. Because I don't want anything to interrupt my intimacy with Christ. And I don't want anything in my intimacy with you to, to interfere with that. I don't want love being interrupted. So... That's what this means. To redeem from the possession of an enemy by paying a price deemed equivalent, equal. To redeem from the bondage of sin and from the punishment to which sinners are subjected by legalism, by the law. The law itself was perfect, holy, just, and good in Romans 7, 12. But when the flesh seeks to take it, When it says, tell me what to do and I'll do it, in Exodus 19 and verse 8 and 24 and verse 3, it says, tell me what to do and I'll do it. We can do nothing. We can do nothing but what Christ is and what he's given in John 15, 1 through 5. Also, in Isaiah 35, you can read those 10 verses in Isaiah 35. This is what it says, and he's speaking to Israel, and this is dealing with millennial reign, but there are truths that we already ransomed can glean from it, and the redeem the ransomed of the Lord will return, they will return and come to Zion with songs from the scriptures by the way ephesians five eighteen and Colossians three and verse 16, there's songs from psalms and hymns. And they're set with a specific beat too, by the way. Beats that don't act, actuate the flesh, by the way. That can easily happen to any of us. But they will return to, and come to Zion, not Mount Sinai where legalism is, and the, the fire of God's justice and His love is there, which no one can approach or touch without being ransomed. You'll see that in Exodus, the 19th chapter. is made crystal clear. We'll come with songs. Ah, songs of deliverance. He gives us songs in the night in Job 35 and verse 10. He gives us songs in Psalm 40 and verse 3, and 42 and verse 3, 2 and 3. He gives us songs in Psalm 77 and verse 6 to ultimately teach us, and we're in choir training till we see him face to face and we take our place around the throne and in Revelations 5, 9-12 to we sing the eternal song, the song of the Lamb where all our value is. There'll be no marks on us. He dealt with those. But the cost of those, in Revelations 5 and verse 6, they see a Lamb for all eternity as just as if it had been freshly slain by the marks the marks of love in his in his wrists, by the way. Thorn marks on his head, on in spear in his side, in John nineteen thirty four and thirty five, and then his feet were pierced, and in Psalm twenty two, and verse six, his feet were pierced. That is love. You see, every everything he did was love for his Father and propitiation first. And every place he walked, every thought, word, and deed, was all about revealing his father in absolute obedience. In John eight twenty nine and Romans fifteen and verse three. And so he the ransom of the Lord will return and come to 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 Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads, meaning their whole thought life now is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is what? taking the things of Christ in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. What's the first thing when we function in love? What do we have? Joy. Peace is always... We have the God of peace, and we do have peace, even though we may not experience it. But when we function in love, in His presence in Psalm 16, verse 11, we have what? Joy. What's that mean? We joy in Him in Romans 5.11. In the worst circumstances and situations can be the greatest opportunity for the greatest depth of intimacy and suffering and fellowship with Him and experience the joy that comes with it. That's Philippians 3 and verse 10. And so, ransom. Ransom now. Ransom. When He said that in, in Matthew 20, 28, in Mark 10, verse 45, as we begin to wrap this up this morning, that word ransom is lutron. L-U-T-R-O-N. Lutron. This is what it means. Something to loosen with. To loosen us. From all, of, from all of what the justice and righteousness and holiness of God, to loosen it in propitiation, then be the substitute to loosen us, to crucify our old in Romans 6, 1-6, and then to loosen us and do away with forever, never to be brought up again our sins. Do you know that? That God, Jesus Christ, has dealt with our own personal sins and they're never to be brought up again? And should we do that to each other? They need to be, at times, we need to confess them and have them dealt with in James 5, 16, 15, 16. And then prayer is involved in that first and foremost. First and foremost. To loosen, to something to loosen with, a redemption price. Atonement, kafar. That Hebrew word, kafar, Ransom. And it's the Greek word from that word, lutron is from the Greek word luo, l u o, luo. And it's this it's a primary, very important foundational verb, which means to loosen, literally or figur- figuratively, break up, destroy, dissolve, loose, melt off, and put off all our sins. You know why? Because they were put on him and dealt with once and forever. He did it once. Didn't do it for all, but he did do it once for many. And that's why for all is even italicized in Hebrews 10 and verse 10. He did it once, but he did it in perfection for them that are in him and believe. And that's, that's Hebrews 10 and verse 14. And that's the difference in those two verses. Again, it's teaching, propitiation. He constantly, Paul had to constantly teach these Hebrew Christians that we're in Christ, that we're going back to the law. He had to read. All is teaching them what's better in Hebrews. What is better? Thinking with Christ and not thinking outside of him. He's teaching propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. So as we wrap this up this morning, that word again, it means to break up, destroy, dissolve, to loose, to melt, and to put off. It is the money and this, again, is Exodus, uh, the 21st chapter in those 30 verses. It's the money or price paid for the redemption of a prisoner. And Paul, who was a slave of sin, just like you and I were. We wa- walked in, under the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2.2. Others did it. And they, they, uh, they that function in sin were a slave of sin. And that's all we are. We go back to slavery in the lie of sins again in the flesh. That we're not not of, but it's still in us to teach us things. But in in John 8, verse 34, he that sins is a slave of sin. He worships and serves himself in his sins. Worshipping self. I was hurt. I'm going to make more of that. I'm going to make more of my wounds than he who's healed it. Listen, the wounds were incurable in terms of anyone else doing it. In Jeremiah 30, verse 12, but we have been cured. That deals with our salvation. Again, we're going to go into how that, that what is taught is healing in the atonement. I didn't have time to get into it today, but that's another uh, very false and evil teaching and leads people into all kinds of confusion, by the way, and all kinds of slavery. But it's the money or price paid for the redemption of a prisoner. Ephesians 3.1 and 4, one. Paul said, now I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He's captured me. He's made me more than a conqueror. Romans 8.37. He's done so much for us. We have so much to be thankful for. Or a slave, in, as we said in John 8, verse 33, and, we, and the enemy can't make us a slave in our position. Sin can't even touch it. He goes after the experience to make us a slave when our will's not submitted. And then we end up opposing ourselves. Stop blaming others. And I need to, and you need to. Stop blaming others for your experience. Christ has done away with it. He has. There's nothing, but rec- There's nothing but reconciliation and grace waiting. You don't have to go to others to get comfort, especially when it involves others. Especially. And then you don't go about trying to establish certain little cliques and valuing others more than others and making them more than others when we're all equal in Christ in Galatians 3.26. All of us, and even those that you go to for comfort, they were all, we were all, we all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That's why I say in the operation of a local assembly, we need not to function outside of our place. We don't know everything. We don't. I don't and you don't. But in, in leadership and in a local assembly, none of us, none of us do. So again, we're going to wrap this up. It's the money or price paid for the redemption of a prisoner or slave or for goods captured by an enemy. All these gifts. You know the enemy, he, he captures our will. He not, when he captures my will, he captures all the good that God has for me, even in the gifts that he's given us. And the gifts, we can't even function in them. When you don't forgive him, when I don't forgive him, we hold things against each other. Are we having fellowship with Christ? Is he able now, in the intimacy of his love flowing through us, to now minister in those gifts that he's even given us? Oh boy, this is so counseling for me. I don't know about anyone else, but it's for me. That which procures the release of a prisoner captured by an enemy or captured property and restores it to the one who's truly already free or liberated. Again, you see it in John 8, 32. You will know the truth. That means submitting. And, ex- and you will know the truth and experience The truth will do what? Set you free from what? From everything and everyone. Now all you have, all we have for each other, is when we don't have fellowship, all we have is reconciliation and forgiveness to go with, with each other. We're not going with mental attitude, sins, and anger. <laughs> you know, Ephesians 4.26, be angry, but don't sin. Things that he wants me, and he made this clear to me personally, things, Ed, that I want you to be angry with are things about yourself. Period. Done. Done. Over. Then you won't give place to the devil. Then you won't function in the stealing lies in John 10 10a and, and John 8 verse 44 of the enemy. I'm probably going way over. I am. Sorry. I'm going to close. Three strikes. I'm out. He, he restores the one who's free and restores him right back to his original owner. We are not, the flesh doesn't own us. It seeks to. We were bought with a price. Again, bought, ransomed, redeemed, atoned, propitiation, sacrifice, uh, uh, substitute, reconciliation. We were, we were bought in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. So we're to glorify God in our spirit and our soul and our body, which are God's and not ours. Boy, this is counsel for me. It's release from captivity. It's, we're being restored to the original owner. Every human being in Acts 17, 24 to 28, is the Lord's. Everyone, saved or not, are the Lord's. But we have Him in the most intimate way, obviously through salvation. Even the earth right now, that man's seeking to destroy, which will never be, God won't allow it. That's only something that He's going to do. That's why it says in Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and even those that dwell there. How much more is he ours through what, what it cost him? And so it's released from captivity and bondage. Again, for us, Christ is the end of the law. When it says the end of the law there, for righteousness to them that believe in Romans 10, and in verse 4, it's much more than Exodus 23 to 17. It's much more than just those, just those, the, those 10 Hebrew words. It's far more. It's delivering us from the law of sin and death. That's what it's talking about here, from the bondage of the flesh trying to function under that legal covenant. Right? It's release from captivity, bondage, or the possession of an enemy. He, want, he can't possess us positionally. He always tries to possess us in our experience. That's why we need to be men, not run to mummy or run to this one, run to we, you know, we run to Christ, and then as men we run to each other. And women we run to each other. that's what we do. that's what men do. That's what First Corinthians 16:13 is saying, "Quit you like men, be strong in the faith. Do all things in love. And we need to be challenged at times. There's challenges. There was a challenge given recently was. Why? <laughs> hmm, boy, in law. It's a sum paid for the pardon of some great offense and the discharge of the offender. That was the ransom, the price being paid, or a fine paid in lieu of what would be punishment. Punishment. But God is what? He is a God of love and justice fulfilled, or a God of love and justice not fulfilled, and then he's a God of wrath. Wrath. Wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ on Calvary. He wasn't punishing Jesus. It was wrath on him. But it, for those that would receive him, it just so happened to consume the old one, the old man in us, and to consume all those sins. And that's even brought out in the Bema Seat. That's why there's no terror there in Second Corinthians 5, 10, and 11. Whatever's burnt up in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15. Whatever's burnt up is not of him, and we were never of it. Isn't that awesome? He has such deep love for us. Father, we thank you so much for your love and what you've given us. Thank you, Lord, in in the humility and brokenness of your love. We just thank you and, and, and praise you for what you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.